today let's go over this week's reads this week i read hopeless by colleen hoover the first time i picked this book up was in sixth grade however i do not recommend reading it that young i would actively avoid re reading it that young i'd probably say this book is 16 plus um but i did fall in love with the story at its heart it's a romance novel but without giving too much away the main love interests have a far deeper and some would say historical connection to each other than they'd expect. This book is hard to summarize without spoilers, so I'm just going to leave it at that. My favorite book that I read this week was Exit Pursued by a Bear by E.K. Johnson. The title never really makes sense, but I think it's a pretty cool title. Um, just a quick trigger warning, this book is all about sexual assaults. I actually reread this book for the third time this week, but I get something different out of the book every time I read it. This book is about a girl named Hermione Winters, who is the captain of her school's cheerleading team. She wants to make her last year on the team the best it can be, but unfortunately, she is assaulted at cheer camp. One of the things that always stands out to me when I read this book is how awesome of a support system Hermione has. Most of the time we see people shamed and questioned whenever they come forward about sexual assault, but Hermione's friends, family, and even her teachers rally around her. So instead of being a story about shame, although at points it does venture into that territory, the main focus of the story is the incredible strength it takes to overcome a traumatic incident. Hopefully I can convince Sydney to read it soon because I really want to do a full episode on it and I definitely think I'll we'll read have. it soon. Yes. Our main book for this week is The Lovely War by Julie Berry. Lovely War tells the tale of two love stories in World War I, but the twist is that it is narrated by Greek gods specifically Aphrodite, Apollo, Hades, and Ares. The book opens when Hephaestus discovers that his wife, Aphrodite, has been cheating on him with Ares. He puts her on trial, and the two love stories told in the book are her defense that war and love are intrinsically linked. And as always, we will be spoiling a good amount of the book, so I would recommend only listening to this after you have read the book. Which we highly recommend you do. Yes. Before we get into our favorite parts about the book, we thought we would break down the main characters of the story for everyone. So the first character that we're going to introduce is James. Uh, James is an English soldier who was an aspiring architect. Um, he was given the role of a sniper once brought into the war, uh, but he really doesn't want to be, it for as it forces him to kill people, and he often is seen contemplating their deaths and their families and the implications of their lives. And he's also the love interest of Hazel, who will now be introduced. Uh, she volunteers for the YMCA, where she meets Aubrey and Colette. Um, she also plays piano to entertain soldiers. That is what she's volunteering to do. Uh, she was trained as a classical pianist in England. Uh, and she is, as I previously said, uh, James's love interest. She fell in love with him after only knowing him for a week. And then he was forced to leave for the war. Another main character in the book is Aubrey Edwards, who is a member of the 15th New York Infantry, an all-black unit in the American military that doubles as a jazz band. For all the history nerds out there, those in the 15th New York Infantry later became known as the Harlem Hellfighters. Colette Fournier, I did not pronounce that correctly, I think that's right, is a white woman from Belgium who almost lost her entire family in the brutal attack from the Germans. She meets Aubrey and Hazel while working as a volunteer in France, and she's Aubrey's love interest. 
One of the most unique things about this book is that it was narrated by Greek gods, and while the story of people living through World War I is often told in different books, uh, this brings a whole new light to it, and I think one of the most unique things is that it was not told by just one god, but it was told by multiple gods, and given that each Greek god sort of commands a different thing in mythology, um, depending on which god was telling that chapter or that portion of the story, uh, you got a different angle and a different look into what was going on. So as Sidney said, depending on what part of the story is being told, like a different god is telling it. So Hazel's story is primarily told by Aphrodite because she is very much in love and that's sort of the main focus of her story. James's part of the story is primarily told by Ares, who's the god of war. Um, and uh, Aubrey's part of the story is primarily told by Apollo, who's the god of prophecies, which is really interesting because Aubrey's story revolves around his like music a lot. Mm -hmm. So Apollo was a very interesting choice for him to be like his guardian angel. And whenever somebody dies or is like nearing death, Hades will tell the story. And that's when you know like it's about to get ominous when the chapter is introduced with Hades' point of view. Yeah. I think uh, Aubrey's story might have been told by the god of prophecy because he does sort of break the boundaries that were one that were set in his time and by like falling in love and ultimately dating Colette I think that sort of prophesizes what it will be like for all like black people in not only America but the rest of the world uh the rest of the western world um the years from uh the time that his story is told I actually think that's a very interesting take I kind of rationalize it as like music kind of tells stories in the same way as the prophecies do mm -hmm. as in i think music kind of brings people together and kind of pushes the boundaries of what humans think they are able to do in the same way that prophecies are mm -hmm. um and i think a lot of times prophecies although they predict the future and i think that's kind of a cool element that like you analyze um they also kind of show that humanity and, and society as a whole can go much farther um, than people expect it to, and it will have these twists and turns. Um, and that's sort of how I interpreted it, but I, I like your interpretation a lot more. <laughs> and because the gods are narrating the story, it really adds a very cool outer element um, to the story as a whole. And I think this idea that travels throughout the book that love and war are intrinsically linked, you can't have one without the other, is another really cool frame of analysis with which to view the book. Because when we first meet Hazel and James, they're kind of innocent. They're very much like, oh my god, you're cute, you're cute, should I kiss you? Um, I don't know. And then it's it's a lot of like awkward teenage love and it's very adorable to kind of watch. And then all of a sudden James goes to war and he's killing people. He becomes a sniper specifically so he can go on breaks to be with Hazel more often. And he's killing people and he becomes traumatized and all of a sudden you sort of see um, him become this completely different person at the end of the book. He is a completely different person. Mm -hmm. um, but their love has grown stronger for each other. Their time apart has made them stronger and has made their love yeah. more powerful. Absence makes the heart grow fonder. Absolutely. And I don't know if James hadn't gone to war, if we would see their love be as strong in the end. What do you think? Yeah, I think that the war, it also did play sort of a central part in the story um, because I feel that maybe that they they really only knew each other for a week um, before go, he went away and I feel like it may have ended up as just a simple fling if there wasn't just the um, 
I guess, need that Hazel and James felt to sort of dedicate themselves to each other because there was the chance that James would die. Um, but I feel like if the war hadn't happened, uh, they might have just dated for a while. Or courted, I guess, is what they did back then. Yeah. Um, they might have just courted for a while, uh, especially because Hazel was keeping James a secret from her parents. I don't think it would have ended in the happy story that we have now. Well, not happy story, but happy ended story. Happily ended story that we have now. One of our other favorite things about this book is just Julie Berry's overall writing style and her knack for storytelling that she has. Not only was the word choice on every page so delectable. <laughs> I'm not Julie Berry. I'm not very good at word choice. Oh, it's not delectable. Actually, is Violent. it delectable? Yes. Not only was the word choice on every page so vibrant and full of life, or as Cindy likes to put it, <laughs> delectable, but her storytelling in general just really tied the book together, and it's a pretty long book. Her word choices and just her storytelling abilities sort of brought me into the story and sort of caused me to love it. Uh, when I Definitely first... you learn. Yeah. I read this book very quickly, uh, especially given that it was 400-something pages, and I don't usually... I'm not the fastest reader you've ever met. In fact, I'm far from it. But uh, I think not only was I just in love with the story, but when I first saw the premise of the book, I was like, that sounds interesting. I probably wouldn't have picked it up if not for my friend telling me that I should read it. Um, and I'm forever thankful for her because that was really, really good uh, book choice. Um, but it was just... It was really good, and I think that half of the reason that it was so good was that her writing style made it not just any ordinary story. Yeah, like, to your point, I think this is definitely a story I can picture, you know, on the outside, like, a history teacher assigning to be like, oh, learn about, like, what happened in the trenches. Yeah. Um, and then you go into it, and it's more of the story about, like, human nature as a whole mm -hmm. and our attachment to people and what trauma does to that attachment and how beautiful young love is and how beautiful it is to kind of watch it bloom especially in a time where like the odds are against them um and that's why you know to your point the word choice really just the vibrancy of the story really just brings you in and hooks you in and makes you very attached to the characters and very attached to their story and even attached to the gods because their kind of human aspects and their mistakes that they make throughout the book Mm -hmm. um, would be far, far more bland if not for, you know, kind of the intricacies with which she lays out the story. Yeah, and I think, I, I think especially if you read the book and you look at the contrast between the way she writes the gods and the way she writes the people, it can, it really shows just like her full writing ability because she can go from such casual banter between the gods to vivid description of how a trench in World War One looked, and I think that that really, it just is her range. Yeah, it gives a nod to her true abilities. Another very central theme of the book was the power of music. Both of um, the powerful love stories in this book are brought together by music. James meets Hazel when she's playing piano mm -hmm. at a dance, um, and he sort of kind of falls in love with her based on how, how beautifully she plays the piano and how she looks when she plays piano. And Aubrey and Colette initially meet because... Aubrey is in France originally to play as a jazz player to entertain soldiers. And Colette has a very nice singing voice and they bond over that. 
And once again, it just ties together the gods in this story and how each one of them, although they serve a different purpose, all of their purposes kind of collide into this beautiful story and how if you take one of their purposes out, you would have a more empty story. Yeah, and I think that, because I think in its essence, music is sort of an expression of emotion, and a lot of the times, uh, the expression of emotion that the people here are trying to convey is love. And now, uh, obviously, if you turn on your car radio, uh, you hear love song after love song after love song. And quite obviously, while they did have radios to communicate with one another, they did not have car radios to play love song after love song after love song. So they instead had the pianists and the violinists uh, play the songs for them. And it was really based on how that uh, particular artist was feeling at the moment and that they could, because they could choose their own music. Um, and oftentimes you see them playing love songs for each other. So we talked earlier about how James is experiencing the war and how their story, Hazel and James's story, would not be the same if James had gone off to war. And it's really interesting to compare the war that drives them apart versus the war that drives Colette and Aubrey apart. Mm -hmm. At the time, biracial relationships were, I think, highly illegal in America and just extremely taboo, extremely frowned upon in other parts of the world. And this absolutely drives them apart. One night, a bunch of the white soldiers at their at the place where they're volunteering catches Aubrey leaving Colette and um, Hazel's kind of like living space, and he threatens to kill Aubrey. Threatens to kill him. Says that he can't get too fond of white women because then he won't go back to black women, which is obviously you know extremely racist. And Aubrey kind of finds himself in this very tricky place because he has to fight a war against his own countrymen. One of my favorite quotes in the book, and I think one that absolutely captures Aubrey's thoughts in this moment in time, is when Julie Berry writes, Aubrey wonders if he'll die in his country before he ever gets the chance to die for his country. And again, this is at the time when lynchings were rampant, when the KKK was rampant, um, extremely violent times in terms of race relations in America, and Aubrey still goes and fights for his country and still goes to maybe even sacrifice his life for his country. And without the Harlem Hellfighters, it is likely that we would have not won World War I. And I think that his internal struggle and how he fits into his place in society is that amplified by when he meets, is that amplified by Colette because she is white and their relationship is by all means, you know, not allowed. And so he kind of struggles with what their races mean in terms of this relationship. Yeah, I guess their relationship becomes, it's more strained when it is not entirely outlawed for them to date than when it is entirely outlawed because Colette is essentially kicked out of the YMCA, Hazel goes along with her, um, when their supervisor finds out about her and Aubrey, uh, or suspects her and Aubrey uh, for being together. And uh, they still, they decide to stay together. They go to the U.S. and um, Aubrey does play in... And the war that they fight together as a couple to be in love. Um, And I think that, again, brings us back to the central theme of the book, which is that war and love will always be together. And war makes love even stronger and even more of a force of nature. Yeah. A bunch of bars and taverns and nightclubs. And, like, you do see 
uh, some people are uncomfortable with uh, Colette being with... They won't even hire them. Yeah. They don't like that Colette is with an all-black band. They don't like that there even is a black band um, who is wishing to play. Um, and yet uh, Hazel, Colette, um, and yet Colette, even though she has all of the privilege that comes along with being white, um, she chooses to sort of sacrifice it to be with Aubrey, and I think that that's like a true showing of her love for him. And so now, as always, we are going to give this book its own bagel. And so, in my opinion, I think that this book is most definitely just a sesame seed bagel, because if you look at it on the outside, the sesame seeds are kind of the color of the bagel. It looks a bit bland. Um, it looks like you'd enjoy it, but it wouldn't be your favorite thing. But then you bite into it, mm, it has so much flavor, it is so yummy, it tastes so much better than it first looked, and you're just like, chef's kiss. I agree with Sydney, like she said, it appears to be kind of an ordinary bagel, but once you bite into it, you're like, whoa. And that is why we give Lovely War the official Sesame Bagel rating. And finally, we are going to give this book its official rating as done by two very professional teen readers. Okay, so I would say that I'm going to give this book a solid 4.8 out of 5. And I'm going to say this because the writing was amazing. It even made the somewhat boring parts exciting, but there were some somewhat boring parts and those parts I did not completely enjoy. So, if there were less boring parts, it would have been a 5 out of 5. But since there are some boring parts, it's a 4.8. So, unlike Sydney, I will not be extremely picky about the ratings I give. And I'm just <laughs> going to go for it and give this book a 5 out of 5. I don't remember there being any boring parts. So, hmm. But I give it this rating almost solely because of Julie Berry's creativity and writing. And I think that if this book had been written by any other person, it would not have been this good. So yeah, five out of five. You got them. Thank you so much for listening to Books and Bagels with Sydney and Sam. We hope to see you next week. Remember, an episode is released every Friday at 8 a.m. As always, if you have any author recommendations, book recommendations, or anything related to books and or bagels that you would like us to discuss on the podcast, please feel free to email us at Bagels and Books Podcast at gmail.com and make sure to give us a follow on Twitter at books underscore bagels. Have a nice week and read something fun. Books and bagels in the morning.